Colossians chapter 2 verse 13 says this. Code with its regulations. Having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Can, can I read that for you again? He, a, after having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Does that not make anyone else's heart beat a little bit here tonight? Come on now. He's taken all of the powers and the rulers and authorities that sit underneath Him, and He's made a public spectacle of the kingdom of the enemy, and He nailed it to the cross, and He rose again, allowing us in this place to freely come before the throne and say, thank you, Jesus, for disarming the authorities. I, I'm a guy, and war gets me excited, but I tell you what, it gets me really excited to read about a Savior who disarmed the power and authorities of evil. Amen? Now, now listen to this, so we're all on the same page. This is a book, 66 different books, comprised over thousands of years, and it's about... It's about a man, a God, and the redemption of His people and His pursuit of them. Thousands of years of His redeeming work through the person and work of a man named Jesus. And what we keep seeing in the Scriptures is we keep seeing this distinctive two kingdoms. We see one kingdom which is marked by great power and authority and holiness and worthiness. And then what we keep seeing, especially just so we can all be on the same page as we've been studying the Gospel of Luke, we keep seeing this other kingdom. We keep seeing this kingdom of the enemy or like many of you have heard of Satan, the Hebrew Satan, the accuser. There is a very distinctive two kingdom situation that we're all a part of. Listen to this. I know it's hard for us to realize. Because we live in the here and now, right? It's like, okay, it's very difficult for me to understand that ha right now over this worship services, there are two kingdoms that are at war over what's happening right now. I know that's hard for us to understand, but Scripture paints it clear. That is the reality. There are two crystal clear kingdoms. There's not three. There are two, my friends. And so tonight, we're picking up as we've already seen in Luke over and over, that light and darkness cannot coexist. They can't. I know that you've tried to master that in your own life, right? I can somehow live in the light or at least communicate that I'm a part of the light and then dabble in the darkness when no one's looking. The reality, my friends, is, is light and darkness can never coexist. And that is why when Jesus shows up on the scene despite only seven mentions in the entire Old Testament of Satan or demons, all of a sudden what we've seen in Luke is that Satan is like coming out of the woodwork. Why? Because Jesus is bringing out the reality of Satan's doom. And more than that, light and darkness just cannot, they, they can't cohabitate. It can't happen. And so tonight, guess what? Another exorcism, right? How many of you guys are excited? Yes, another demon possession! This is going to be amazing, right? Like you came to church tonight and you're like, I hope we study another demon possession because this will be incredible, you know? Well, the reality is tonight, check this. The reality tonight is this piece of Scripture provides clarity into a great mystery. And I'm so encouraged 
to get into it. But before we do that, we need to cover this time in prayer. You guys agree? So here's what we're going to do. Um, I, I believe that the word will never return void. Scripture says that, and I believe that every word in it is true. But I just want to bathe this time in prayer right now. There's people in here who have no idea who Jesus is, and we're thankful for that. Welcome. There's people in here who have been struggling. There's people who are doing awesome. Wherever you're at, we just want to bathe this time in prayer, okay? So with me, uh, whether you're praying out loud or whatever, let's just take a couple minutes right now and ask for God to do a mighty, crazy, powerful work in here. All right, let's pray. Come on. Father God, we're not interested in anything less but the whole real aspect of you tonight. We want you to speak. We want you to move. We want your spirit to reside and to move freely in this place. Despite being in a culture that really doesn't understand your spirit and tries to build brick and mortar around it, God, tonight we're asking that you move in a way, even possibly that you've never moved before amidst this group of people, Lord Jesus. I thank you for the communion that we have with you, that we're even able just to come before you and say that you're worthy and worth worshiping, Lord Jesus. So I ask right now that you will take these words that you have written so purposefully and that you will marinate our hearts with them. God, that they will not return void, that none of us will walk out of this room unchanged, that we will together as a community, Father, be bathed in the presence of who you are. In your awesome name, collectively, in union together, we say, Amen. Open your Bibles, Luke chapter 11. We've been going verse by verse through Luke. If, you, if tonight's your first time here, again, welcome. We believe that going verse by verse is awesome because we can't skip teachings like tonight. Jason and I were talking about this passage just a, a little bit before we started tonight. And we're like, this is one of those passages that you read and you're just like, I don't think so. Oh, we'll go ahead and continue on in the study which makes it exciting to me, you know? Like, this is one of the hard ones. I'm not going to lie to you. There's some pieces in here you're going to be like, what did that just say? And we'll try to explain it together and work through it together. Luke chapter 11, verse 14. Jesus was driving out a demon that was mute. And the reason why it's important that Luke writes this detail is because the demon being mute is going to show its effect on the demon possession. And so when Jesus heals, it's going to kind of escalate the fact that this man is now talking. When the demon left... The man who had been mute spoke, and the crowd was amazed. So you have a massive amount of people around, just like it's happening all around Jesus. He's, he's teaching, and he's doing great miracles, and like he has this posse that's kind of following him, as you would, as we would, right? It's kind of like, like, like right now, there's this big like Chris Angel push. How many of you guys have ever seen or heard of Chris Angel, right? Uh, just my wife? Are you kidding me? My wife's like, yeah, you know, Chris Angel's awesome. I got the tattoo, yeah. But there's like, this, there's like these phenomenons that happen. That's the TV show, nice pun, right? There's these phenomenons that are happening all around us all the time. Picture, picture that but escalated by someone. Like this guy is healing and the crowd, it says, is amazed. Just a quick side note here. Jesus heals the mute man, casts out the demon. In Isaiah chapter 35, verses 6, Hey, check this out. It's talking about the end times. And it says that the mute will shout for joy at the person and work of Christ. Just a little sidebar to get us excited about what Jesus is doing. Verse 15. But some of them said, By Beelzebub, the prince of demons, 
he is driving out demons. Others tested him by asking for a sign from heaven. Now, this is very indicative of the crowd here tonight. You hear the word of God, you see it happening, you hear worship, you hear songs. Some of you in here tonight will be amazed. Because some of you in here tonight, at just the, the seeing of God's people worship together, it just amazes you on, on how God can take a bunch of sinful, depraved people and somehow do something with us. So some of you in here already have just been amazed. You walk in here and you just look at the cross and you don't need a worship song, you don't need the strum of a guitar, you don't need anything. You just walk in and you're like, God is amazing. I, I just, I revel in Him. I revere Him. I want more of Him. So some of you are like that tonight. Some of you don't need anything else. All that you need is simply for Him to be present and that amazes you. Others of you are like some of the crowd. Matthew says that they're Pharisees. Mark says that they're teachers of the law. Regardless, friends, listen to this. This is one of the first major controversies after Jesus has turned to Jerusalem. And you guys remember the difference. He's teaching in Galilee. All of a sudden, he turns and he heads south towards Jerusalem. Why? Because he's going to die. And all of a sudden, friends, the controversy with the, 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 the Pharisees and the chief priests and the teachers of the law are going to escalate. And so some of you in here tonight, you're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Like, actually, his power and his authority is coming from somewhere that's definitely not God. Do you hear what they said? They're making an accusation that Jesus is casting out demons by Beelzebub, the prince of demons. Kind of a weird word. Can you just say it to your neighbor, Beelzebub? Yeah. Don't call them that, though, all right? That's horrible. Like, I'm, not, I'm just saying you to call, like, don't look, look at him and be like, you're Beelzebub. You know, no, 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 that'd be bad. He's the prince of demons, probably a reference to 2 Kings where we see the god of Baal called Beelzebub. But regardless, like, this is like one of the chief, this is Beelzebub. And so some people, some of you in here, or like, all right, everything that's happening here, I just completely doubt because his power is coming from somewhere that definitely is not godly, that definitely has no good authority. Some of you are there. Others of you need more. Others of you are constantly asking for another sign or another thing. Nothing is enough for you. You're never satisfied. Just own up to which one you are tonight. Some of you, it's never enough. I mean, we could, we could have an experience like we already have tonight, just this great presence of God. You can hear believers pray. You can see people who are caught in sin repent and turn away from their sin. And you're just like, no, 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 like I need more, right? I need some cobra coming out of a canister or something. You know, I need some other sign from heaven. That's, that's some of you here tonight. You fall in one of the camps. You're either instantly amazed... You either doubt and try to deflect the power to something else, or you're here tonight and you're going to say at the end of all this, like, no, 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 I still can't believe I need something more. I need something more tangible. I need to be able to write it on a whiteboard or something. I need something I can hold. One of you, you're in, you're in one of those camps tonight. And Jesus responds to them like this. So again, he's just been told that uh, you cast out demons by Beelzebub, which is a demon, which Jesus is going to just hit this right in the face. Jesus knew their thoughts and said to them, hold on a second knew their thoughts and said to them, but they spoke it. This is the second time this has happened in Luke, right? This is the second time the disciples were the first, where they were speaking to, to each other, they were talking, and the scripture says, knowing their thoughts. So in other words, he hears them, he's hearing the conversation, but knowing their thoughts, he's going to respond. In other words, he's digging into the heart of who they are, and that's what he's responding to, not just the mere words. Um, for those of you in here tonight, who believe that God only hears you when you speak. 
and that God's only watching you when you're in church because that's where God is. Can I take a moment and, and throw out a big term there? It's called omnipresent. He is everywhere all the time. He's in your dorm room. About 2 o'clock in the morning, he's there. Uh, that one time when you're driving your car and someone cut you off and you said the obscenity in your car and like turned up the rap music just because it made you feel better. Uh, started rocking to the beat a little bit, you know, yeah. He was there. He's, he's there at all times. Now to some of you, that's really discouraging. To others of you, that's incredibly encouraging. Like, whoa, so you're saying that wherever I speak to him, that he'll hear me. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. So, whoa, whoa. so what you're saying is, is I don't have to be in church for God to be present and for me to, to feel or to experience the presence of God like we do in church. Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. So knowing their thoughts, Jesus says this, any kingdom divided against itself will be ruined and a house divided against itself will fall. If Satan is divided against himself, how can his kingdom stand? I say this because you claim that I drive out demons by Beelzebub. So what Jesus is saying is, hold on a second. And he attacks the logic first. He attacks that first group of people who just are, are they're, they're trying to rationalize, they're trying to grasp it some, somehow uh, logically. He says, so what you're saying is, is that I've put a demon in someone and then I'm casting them out by that, by that same power. So in other words, I've just done absolutely nothing. I'm giving them something and then taking them out because it makes me feel part of the circus. You know what I mean? Like, I'm putting a demon in them, and then just for fun, we're going to go ahead and get it out, even though I'm in control of all of that. Jesus says this, any kingdom divided against itself will ruin. A house divided against itself will fall. Whoa, whoa. I was reading this a few days ago, just over and over and over. And um, I was like, whoa, this is, all of a sudden we got a little tasty treat here, you know? Like you weren't, you weren't expecting this line all of a sudden. Like the kingdom divided against itself will be ruined. We can understand that. Why? Because we're talking about two kingdoms here, right? The good kingdom, the, the heavenly kingdom, the God kingdom, and the Satan kingdom. And all of a sudden, he throws in this line, a house divided against itself will fall. Anytime in Scripture that you see will or never or always it's exclamation point times 300,000 million, which probably isn't a number. It's, it's all attention and all focus on this line. Um, we're going we're gonna to hit more on this here in a second, but just to preface it so your heart can be permeating a little bit, the kingdom of God is all about community and relationships and togetherness. The community of God is all about this this community, this great sense of love and encouragement together. And so when Jesus says a house divided against itself will fall, he's bringing focus to the aspect of the enemy. And we're going to tackle this in a little bit more. Verse 19. Now if I drive out demons by Beelzebub, by whom do your followers drive them out? So then they will be your judges. So first he attacks that second group of people, not the amazed group. First he attacks that middle group of people who are like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like this is, this is completely illogical. You're driving out demons by Beelzebub and now he's attacking the people who need, who need some more. Like who aren't satisfied, who need another sign. He's saying, so who do your people drive demons out by? Like, like they're Jewish exorcists. And so if I drive out demons as a Jewish rabbi, mind you, then who do they 
Jewish teachers of the law drive out demons by. They'll be your own judges. Like, we all are somehow interconnected. He's attacking right at the heart of it. Verse 20, and this gets tasty. But if I drive out demons by the finger of God, then the kingdom of God has come to you. Whoa, 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 whoa. Finger of God? Not a common phrase in Scripture, right? Like some of you instantly pictured this big finger in a cake or something. You know what I mean? Like diving in, like the finger of God coming in. Exodus chapter 8 is when Moses is going up against Pharaoh. And, and remember the staff? And, and some of you guys have, have know this story and have experienced this story, but God sends Moses to redeem his people. And there are some um, of Pharaoh's magicians that are replicating some of the early things that God is having Moses do. But listen to this. All of a sudden, the magicians can't copy Moses anymore. And all of a sudden, the power of God escalates in Moses. And the magicians of Pharaoh tell Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. Like, this cannot be explained by anything else. This, what he's doing here, we can't do. This is just the finger of God. And so what Jesus says is, I drive out demons by the finger of God and the indication, what, what's the next line there? Then my kingdom has what? Has come. Last week we prayed that his kingdom would come. And here he says, when the finger of God moves, when the power happens, that's an indication to you that the finger of God is at work and the kingdom has come. In other words, do you need anything else? Do you need another sign? Are you sure? Because when the finger of God moves and the power of God exudes, are you sure that you need something else? Are you sure that that's not satisfying enough? Because I'm pretty sure that when I just made a demon-possessed man who was mute speak, I'm pretty sure that that's enough to show that the finger of God is moving. Friends, we're quick to blame a lot of things on culture or circumstance or relational stuff. I'm wondering how in tune you are to the power and move of the finger of God. How quick are you to say, God, I can just, your power and your might is just being revealed to me more and more and more. And if you're one of those people, then you're one of the people who are just amazed at who God is. Verse 21. When a strong man, and by the way, if you're a guy in here, how many guys in here? Yeah, okay, four of you. When a for those of you that are males in here or somewhat confused about whether you're male, this next passage, this next passage, like this is a guy verse, okay? There's some verses in Scripture that are for the girls. There's others. There's others that are for the guys. And this is a guy verse. So if you're a guy, like just, just read this with me, all right? Listen to this. When a strong man, fully armed. <laughs> That's coming from Jesus. Wouldn't you have loved to see him say this? Fully armed, you know? Like when he's got the, the, the Jewish garnades, you know what I mean? He's like got the Rambo packed. Um, sorry about that. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own house, his possessions are safe. So for you husbands in here, okay? My wife hates when I go out of town. Why? Because I'm not there to be her protector. You know what I'm saying? I mean, if someone even wants to step to this in my house, you know? <laughs> No, I won't share that. But I'm just... Like, that's the image of what it means to protect your household. So Jesus is setting up this, this next metaphor, this next analogy by saying, okay, there's a strong man, fully armed, and he's protecting his house, and that house is kept safe. Verse 22. But when someone stronger 
attacks and overpowers him. He takes away the armor in which the man trusted and divides up the spoils. Whoa, 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 whoa. What is he saying? What is he saying? He's giving an allusion to his power here. When the ruler of the world, like John chapter 12, calls Satan, because he does have dominion and power over this world. I'm not sure if you're aware of that, but he does. He has certain authority here and now on this earth. Good thing then for 1 John chapter 3 that says the Son of Man has come to destroy the works of Satan. Can I get an amen? Yeah. So it's a good thing for that. But here we have this image of a strong man protecting his house. All of his possessions are safe. But then someone stronger comes. And when that someone stronger comes, he not only comes, but he de-armors the one that was weaker and divides up the spoils. What Jesus is doing here is he's revealing to us his kingdom come over a kingdom that will not stand. Now, there's three verses of focus in this entire story that are going to show us what Jesus is really trying to say. The first was a kingdom divided against itself will ruin and a house divided against itself will fall. And the second is this. Verse 23. He who is not with me is against me. And he who does not gather with me scatters. We've seen this rhetoric before in Luke. If you're not with me, you're against me. You see, again, I think, that, I think that we think mentally that there's somehow three categories of people. There's those that believe, there's those that don't, and there's those that just simply can sit on the fence and be con- completely content with that. That's not what Jesus says. You're either with me or you're not. There's no in-between ground. And what does he say? If you're with me, you what? You gather. If you're against me, you what? You scatter. We see in the early parts of Genesis that it's not good for man to be alone. He creates us instantly for a relationship. We say all the time here that we believe everyone everywhere is looking for two things, love and truth in that order. We're made for relationships. Listen to this. We are not made for division. We are not made for division. The kingdom of God gathers and the kingdom of the enemy scatters. Friends, the reality is there's some of you in here tonight that are in a completely broken relationship. And, and, and there's, a difference between, uh, there's a difference between being distanced from someone and there's a difference between arguing with someone, okay? There's a difference between separation and division and simply going through a hard time with someone. So don't, so don't, see, the, uh, don't, don't see the similarities in there. See the differences, okay? We can argue and have tough conversations with people, which we're called to do. But we live in an age where people are horrible at communicating. Have you noticed this? Not everything's text message, text message, you know? I hate you. I'm so mad at you. You know, it's like, what? Like, what is that? You know? Are you kidding me? Oh, I threw a smiley face on the end. No, that should have, you know, softened it up a little bit. No, it doesn't. You know, that makes, that makes it worse. Everything is here. Text message, text message, electronic. We're horrible at communicating. And somehow communication and eye contact, and the love that we can reveal in a relationship, friends, is one of the greatest ways that we can maintain unity. Have you seen churches fall because of gossip and jealousy and envy and rage? Have you seen families fall apart? Friends, have you? Have you seen families just completely fallen apart? What Jesus is bringing focus here to is you must see as the church that my kingdom is a kingdom that gathers 
that gathers the people that are hard to love. Gathering doesn't imply, let's gather the cliques that look exactly like us because those people are easy to gather. We just give them the t-shirt and they fit right in. What Jesus is saying is, my kingdom gathers. Are you a gatherer? When you look at people in your heart, are you just thinking, I can't wait to connect with them on a deeper level and ask them questions about their life so that they really know that I really care for them. And I'm not asking questions with motives or hidden agendas. I simply want to know who they are because I want to gather I want people to be connected to this community because I believe that God's at work in this community. I want to invite them to a lot family because I believe that God and the finger of God is moving in our lot families. Is that you? Are you a constant gatherer? If that is you, then that is a mark of the kingdom of God. What Jesus says here is my kingdom gathers and my kingdom scatters. So if you're not a, if you're not a gatherer, then what are you? I mean, A plus B equals scatterer, right? Yeah. So if you're not a gatherer in the kingdom of God, then are you with Him? If you're constantly jealous, if you're constantly angry, if constant bouts of rude language and dissension is constantly coming out of your mouth and spilling out of your heart, are you a gatherer, aren't you? I mean, is that the kingdom or... The kingdom of God gathers. So here's the deal. As a church community, as believers, as people even in here who have no idea, I think a huge part of this teaching is realizing the, the strategy of the enemy. It's being able to see that his intention is to steal, kill, and destroy. Did you know that? Great friend, right? Yeah, I want to follow that kingdom that scatters and that steal, kills, and destroys me. Perfect. Where do I sign up? This is great. That's the, that's the reality of the kingdom of Satan. So friends, I think a huge part of this teaching for you and I is to be able to know that and understand that. And so when we see gossip start to spread in a church community, we know right away that this is a tactic of the enemy that has come to what? To divide. And that is not the will of God, my friends. God allows, Jason and I were talking about this earlier on the phone, God allows divorce. Everything that happens underneath God is allowable under His sovereign plan. But is it God's will all the time? There are certain scriptures and certain things where there's, where there's examples of where divorce is okay and is warranted. Is it God's will that we would, that we would sin constantly? I mean, is that His intention? It's allowable so that it will bring more focus to Christ? And so somehow in there, in the, in the demographics of it, yes, it is His sovereign plan, friends, but it, there's a huge difference between what God allows and what He incurs and what His hand is over and moving in, friends. It is God's will that we would gather. I know that for sure. And so if you're in here and you're a constant gossip, you're running your mouth all the time because it makes you feel good about yourself, what I'm telling you is, is you're not in the kingdom. I mean, it's, it's clear, right? Is, it, is, anyone, is it not clear for anyone? If you're a gatherer, then that is a mark of the kingdom of God. If you're a scatterer, then it is a mark of the other kingdom. Now things get pretty interesting here in this passage. When an evil spirit comes out of a man, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Now in the Old Testament, it was often thought that the spiritual warfare was largely happening in the desert. Have you ever been to the desert? Okay? I can, I can believe that, right? Satan lives there. It's horrible. You know what I mean? Like scorpions and bad snakes and like all kinds of nasty things, right? Has anyone ever been to New Mexico? Anyone? New Mexico or Arizona, Minnesota has a horrible desert. All right, deserts, 
Deserts are, in the Old Testament, attributed to these to the place where Satan resides. Now, I don't think there's any escalation there, but that in, in old folk, uh, folklore was, was thought of. So an evil spirit comes out of a man, it goes through arid places seeking rest and does not find it. Then it says, I will return to the house I left. Now, whether he's talking about demon possession here or whether he's simply talking about a man or a woman who accepts Jesus, decides to turn and repent of his evil's ways and come to follow Christ... What, he, what he's saying here is that the spirit, the evil spirit, the evilness, the worldliness leaves him. And that spirit goes out looking for a place to rest, but it doesn't find anything. And so it comes back and returns. And look at this. The scripture says when it arrives, it finds the house swept clean and put in order. This is a Christian who accepts Christ and is pretty fired up, at least for a while. So the spirit comes, comes back. And the, and the guy, and God has taken the Bisselvac on the heart and the soul and cleaned it up and swept it up by his great power. And so the demon has no place. I mean, he's like, he comes back. He's like, no, like, I, I can't roll like this. This isn't, and again, this is one of those verses that when you're first reading, you're like, what did he just say? Never mind. I'm moving on. Verse 25. Verse 26. Then it goes and takes seven other spirits, which seven is a, 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 a an idea in scripture, a kind of total power more wicked than itself, and they go in and live there. And the final condition of that man is worse than the first. This is talking about a neutral person. A person who accepts Christ, or, or so it seems, makes some type of commitment. This is the person that's sitting on the fence. He, he's, he's not here, he's not there. And then all of a sudden, like he just succumbs back to the world. And Scripture says that his condition now is worse than it was before then. Flip with me to 2 Peter chapter 2. We need to explain this concept a little bit more. It breaks our heart, doesn't it? When we see individuals who have seemed to make commitments to Christ and then instantly they're right back into the world. If you're a new Christian here in this church community, let me tell you this. You must stay connected to a community, friends. You must Stay connected to a community, a lot family. You cannot, friends, accept Christ and then just go and, and think that all of a sudden you're just going to tell all your friends and be able to spend all the time you want. No, friends, it is a complete change of lifestyle. Look at this, Second Peter chapter 2, verse 20. This is a hard passage. If they have escaped the corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, and are again entangled in it, entangled in the world, and overcome, they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. It would have, friends, this is hard. It would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then to turn their backs on the second command that was passed on to them. Of, the Proverbs are, um, of them, the Proverbs are true. A dog returns to its vomit. Beautiful picture. And is so that is washed, goes back to her wallowing in the mud. In other words, if you claim to have known who Christ is and known the righteousness, like you've, you have this treasure, and then you, would, you were to turn back, the image is that your condition is worse than before, because now you know the truth. You know the path of righteousness. And so if you're here tonight, young Christian, you're just like, man, I'm... The reality is I'm completely struggling. I made this commitment to Christ. And I'm, tonight, turn, repent, put the world behind you, get plugged into community, friends, 
surround yourself with relationships, Jesus says that you're worse off than you were before. Verse 27. Let's pull this in here. As Jesus was saying these things, a woman in the crowd yelled out, Blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. Anyone else uh, think that's interesting? All this has happened, and all of a sudden a woman raises her hand. Jesus, blessed is your mom. She nursed you, you know? Like, she's, like what is that? She's like trying to get the crowd wild up here. Like, what's happening? She's like, come on, you with me? Yeah, nurse, nurse, nurse. You know, like, what is this? This is, this is again, like, this is why one of the, this is why this passage is a little bit weird. It's like, what, what is happening here? What's happening here is Jesus is setting up his next response. Blessed is the man. Well, Jesus says this. Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. Kind of interesting, right? An opportunity to escalate the mother of Jesus, and Jesus shifts focus to obedience of him. Now, what's happening in this passage is putting three puzzle pieces together. Jesus says that a kingdom divided against itself will be ruined. A house divided against itself will fall. All right? Then, then he says later that, that those who hear my word and obey it, like that's really who are blessed. And he says in between that, that, that we must be in the pursuit of him, that if, if you're with him, then you're with him. If you're against him, you're against him. There's no in-between. If you're with him, then you're a gatherer. If you're against him, you're a scatterer. What Jesus is doing, friends, listen to this. What he's doing in this passage is he's bringing complete clarity to the kingdoms in this world here and now. How many of you women like to shop? Any women like to shop? What? Hold on, raise your hands again. This so I can... Okay, seven, eight, nine, and a bunch of liars. How many of you women have ever window shopped before? Have you ever been to Chicago or even downtown St. Charles, you know, has this? Uh, this is my window shop here. And, um, yeah, sorry, I found this in my basement this morning. Pretty sweet. So you come by, and, and, and you look in, and there's like, like how the shop is arranged. They kind of arrange it in a way that displays all the goods, right? I was thinking about how Jesus has clearly shown us the image of the kingdoms. And friends, this is what he's done. Is he has given us a storefront view of the exact state and nature of the kingdoms. He says this kingdom, write it right here. This kingdom is the kingdom of Hasatan, the accuser. This kingdom is the kingdom of Satan. This kingdom is about killing and destroying people. This kingdom is about scattering this kingdom is about lies and deceit. This kingdom will fall. This kingdom will be ruined. This kingdom will completely be destroyed. He's saying this. And friends, like, I, I think that we don't get this in the scriptures. We're reading through Luke and we're like, yeah, he keeps talking about the kingdom. What he does tonight is he makes it completely clear what this kingdom is and what this kingdom is. This kingdom, friends, made a public spectacle of his adversaries on the cross. This kingdom disarmed the authorities. This kingdom, like the Son of Man says in 1 John, is coming back to completely destroy the works of Satan. This kingdom gathers. This kingdom will be triumphant. This kingdom will not fall. This kingdom is eternal. This kingdom is not. But just for a while, they're here right now. 
So why are you choosing this? Why are people around us so sucked into this? It's like walking into a furniture store and having the clerk come up to you and say, here's the deal. have a couple great couches for you. One of them has been urinated on by a dog about a hundred times. It's completely gross. It's nasty. Actually, it's great. There's no warranty that comes with it. None. There's no warranty. Isn't it awesome? Look at this. It's great. Over here, for the same cost, both will cost you your life. Over here, for the same cost, leather or pleather, if you're me and can't afford leather, pleather, you know, plastic leather, warranty, is forever. It's like walking in and making the decision for this horribly nasty piece of furniture. Friends, we're over here and we're window shopping, and for some ignorant reason, we're curious, aren't we? For some ignorant reason, we look in and we're curious. We're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Like, I wonder what's behind aisle number three. Like, I hear my friends talking about it. I hear my friends talk about how fun it is and how much joy it brings them and on and on and on down the line, even though deep in my dome and in my heart, I know that this kingdom will fall, that this kingdom will not triumph, that this kingdom is about lies and deceit, because the reality is, on the outside of this, if this was a storefront, the title is, like, fun and stuff, you know? Like in here, we have fun. And even the lie of this kingdom is that it gathers. Come on now. Do you see this? Everything that this kingdom is, this kingdom also says that it is. This kingdom will triumph, it says. This kingdom gathers, it says. And then you get inside and you realize that you're screwed up, messed up, and everything has been a lie. So friends, why do we keep going back like a dog returns to its vomit? Why are we so intrigued and curious by something that will ultimately and completely fall? Why are we so intrigued by something that has nothing to offer us, my friends? And then, as great as this kingdom is, here and now, we are seeing both of these. You know what Jesus says? He says this kingdom now is like a mustard seed compared to its consummation in the end. In other words, all of the things that we see of the kingdom of God now, its greatness, its glory, its pursuit, is but a mustard seed compared to what it would be in the consummation. Christians in this room, why are you acting so curious? Because what's happening is people are looking at you and you've claimed to be a Christian and you're like dabbling over here. La da ta ti, la da ta ta, looking in the window, sparking my interest a little bit. And everyone's looking and saying, like, like, what is he doing over there? What's his plan? I thought he was a Christian. Jesus says you're either in this kingdom or you're serving this kingdom. Like, well, what is he doing over there? Why is he looking in? Like, why is he... Why are you even curious? Friends, that's the line that I want each of us just to permeate in our hearts. Why are we even curious? We don't have to be curious when we can be sure. We don't have to be curious when we know. Triumph, victory, glory, friends, a life of hardship and sacrifice, yes, but a life of victory nonetheless. 
Friends, we do not have to be curious. We can rest. And the great picture that Jesus says, my kingdom gathers and it's shown itself by people who hear the word and obey it. People who aren't curious, people who sit back and say, your word is good and I am going to obey because I love to serve a kingdom that made a public spectacle of the adversaries by nailing all of my sins on the cross. Let's pray. Father God, um, you got to do a lot of work with us tonight. There's a lot of curiosity in this room. A lot of curiosity that's being played out in pursuits of a kingdom that will and is destined to fail. God, I pray for the realization tonight that if we're not a part of your kingdom, then we're a part of the other kingdom, that there's no third option. God, I pray tonight that if people are wrestling with and and questioning in their hearts that they're ready and they want to serve your kingdom, but they've never made that commitment before, God, I pray that they will seek, um, seek people out and communicate that, God, that we will begin to journey with them in the pursuits of what it looks like to be completely satisfied in your kingdom, not needing another sign, not trying to make some logical argument about it. Lord Jesus, I pray that you will take the curiosity away. Take it away. Assure us, once again, of your greatness and your holiness.